finishing up a series that we've been in for the last six weeks, where we have been looking at Jesus' part of, part of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been calling this series Matters of the Heart, because it's Jesus actually taking some, some big pieces of God's law that had been manipulated by the teachers of the day, and he's pulling them into the heart level to make sure that we all know that we all need Jesus. That is one of the foundational statements that our church is built on, is that we need Jesus. The people who have never heard his name before need Jesus, and people who have heard his name every week in church their whole lives need Jesus. That's why we're studying these things, and we've come to the conclusion of it. And in fact, we've come to the culmination in many ways of of what has been a a difficult passage. Uh, In our community group the other night, one of the real things that just kind of came out was, man, this has just been hard. It's just been hard to listen to what Jesus has to say because it's just tough stuff. It sometimes hurts a little bit. And this one might be the hardest. This is where we get to listen to Jesus tell us that we are not only to uh, love the people that are around us, that are our friends and our neighbors and our family members, but yes, even to love our enemies. So if you have your Bible, will you open it up to Matthew chapter 5? We're at the end of that chapter. I'll be reading verse 43 to the end. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not only the Gentiles do this, do not the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, even for the tough words that we get to read, even for the places that sting, even for the challenges. And Lord, we do proclaim that we need you in these. We need to be driven into your arms. We need to be reminded that you are a good father. We need to be reminded that that is your nature. And so, Lord, even when we come to see the difficulty that we oftentimes have with your law, we need to come to see more, more freely, more fully, the beauty of your gospel. Will you show us that this morning? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I went and I saw the movie Hostels this week uh, on Friday. I also realized that I think the last five illustrations I've given have been movie illustrations. Sorry for that. Um, but this movie, I'll try not to give it all away, but, um, but the setup is really, it's 1892, and one of the main characters is a soldier, a captain in the U.S. Army in the American West, whose job really it is to drive out the Native Americans who live there. And he's been doing this for about 20 years or so. The other main character is a Native American chief, a Cheyenne chief. And the setup, again, I won't give it away, but the setup basically is that that they are forced to spend a lot of time traveling together. It's these two men who have been sworn enemies, really, for most of their adult lives. And one has, uh, has led in the charge of killing men under the other, and the other has led in the charge of killing men under the other. They literally are the most uh, antagonistic people you could meet. Have you ever just kind of wondered what it would be like if you were forced to just be 
alone for a long time with the person that in your mind right now you're thinking, that would be the hardest person to be alone with. This person really is my enemy. This person is a person either that I'm at odds with right now or just frankly I don't like or I don't want to be around. And I've got to figure out how to be around them. Well, when Jesus says love your enemies, he's not talking just about being around the people that we're at odds with, but what it's like actually to act in love to the people who are either A, different than us, B, kind of outside of our regular group, or C, people that we really are at odds with, people that we might call our enemies. Friends, this sounds like an impossible task. I think it's helpful that we even recount uh, the ways that Jesus tells us why we are then to move toward others who are either different than us or who are against us in some way, why we are to do this. And he lays out, I think, four reasons why we are to love our enemies, why, are we to, why we are to move toward those who are different than we are, toward those who are outsiders in some sense, outside of our group, and even toward those who we might consider our enemies. Here's the first reason that Jesus gives. Jesus says the first reason that we are to love those who are different than us and even love our enemies is because they actually are just like us. They are the same as we are. I want to draw your attention actually to this verse 45. Start at 44. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And this is what he says here. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. One of the foundational principles of the Bible is that God has created things and he's created them good. That includes human beings. That human beings are actually made in God's image. That all human beings are given honor and dignity by virtue of being created by God. That means that all the people that are kind of in your head when I ask you to imagine who you might be at odds with or who might be an outsider in some sense, those people are made in the image of God and because they are made in the image of God... They are worth our loving. That means people who believe very differently than we do. Devout Muslims or Hindus. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, made in God's image, worthy of our love. People that we would consider antagonistic to our way of life. Osama bin Laden, Kim Jong-un, the Sutherland Springs shooter, created in God's image. Given honor and dignity and glory and worthy of our love in some way. And the reason God says that they are worthy of our love is because he has created them. And if God has created them and made them in his image and bestowed his love on them, then we as Christians are called to do the same. Those verses that I, that I read for you can be summarized with the term that the church has used for a while called common grace. Common grace really is just God actually bestowing his love, his blessing even, on those who may or may not actually come to faith in him. And common grace is what Jesus is talking about there when he said God causes his son to rise on the just and on the unjust. He causes the sun to rise and, and the crops grow and, and, and things, things actually sprout forth and there's blessing for them because of that. And God causes the rain to rain on the crops of the just and the unjust alike. 
Those who are against him, those who are uh, simply apart from him, it doesn't matter actually what their belief is because God actually is blessing them by giving them the benefit of his son and his reign. Again, we call this common grace, and there are examples of this everywhere that we look. I don't know if you saw the news this week, you know, that um, SpaceX, the company SpaceX just sent up a rocket. uh, They sent up a Tesla Roadster, actually, is what they sent up, which was pretty cool. Um, But this rocket was pretty amazing. Because you've seen rockets go up into space before, and there's boosters that are there to get it off the ground and get it uh, up into the atmosphere. And what usually happens is those boosters, they drop off, and then they fall into the ocean. And, you know, they're... $300 million a piece or whatever they are, that's probably a quarter of the cost, and they're gone. They're lost. Well, these rockets didn't do that. They dropped off, and then then they flew home, and they landed, and they can use them again next time. It is a remarkable piece of engineering. And SpaceX is led by this guy named Elon Musk, who also founded Tesla and is kind of just this uber entrepreneur in our society. He's a brilliant man. He is a man who is doing incredible things like his vision. I mean, have you ever had the vision, I'd like to figure out how to send people to Mars so that they can live there? I've never had that thought, you know. But Elon Musk has this incredible vision, and he's done that. Now, Elon Musk has never claimed to be a Christian. By all accounts, he is agnostic. By all accounts, he has no desire for religion. And by all that we know, he has never come to the Lord, fallen on his knees, cried out in faith for Jesus to save him. That is a sad state that he has not. But friends, it is also a beautiful thing that God has given him so many wonderful gifts that are blessing actually the whole world. God is working through this person to do amazing things in our society and in our world. That's common grace. And that is one of the big reasons why we are called to love the people around us, even the people that we might consider against us. Now, let's apply this for just a minute. I want you to picture a person that you may know personally. And if you don't, you can just picture this, and I'm sure you won't have any trouble. He lives down your street. Uh, he's he's kind of antisocial a little bit. He drives a car with a bumper sticker on it that says, uh, born right the first time, and maybe a couple other uh, anti-Christian bumper stickers. This is a, a person who not only, um, you know, isn't really involved in church, but really is pretty antagonistic, is against Christianity. How, what do we do with those people? What do we do with a person like that? What do we do with our neighbor who really feels like they're against us? Well, according to Jesus... What we do is we begin to love them. We begin to reach out to them, to move toward them, invite them over for dinner, engage in conversation, begin to love and appreciate the good things about this person, the way that God has created him. Love him because he is a creature, a creature created in God's image, and love him even for the beauty that you see of the reflection of God in him. And then maybe at some point, you might be able to ask, once you've developed a relationship, to ask, tell me why it is you are against Christianity. And then listen and seek to understand. And the Lord will do amazing things to work through you to love him. And the Lord might work through you even to bring him to an understanding of his sin and a knowledge of Jesus as his Savior. So that's the first thing I think that Jesus says. First reason why we are called to love our neighbors is that they're just like us, made in God's image, worthy of our love. Here's the second thing 
that Jesus says. And it sounds like just the opposite of what I just said. Because not only are we called to love people because they're just like us, but we actually are also called to love our neighbors because we're supposed to be different. Christians are actually supposed to stand out in the world as being different than others. Look again here at verse 46. Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Jesus is saying, hey, this is great. You love your neighbors and your friends, and when they want to hug you, you hug them, and you're nice to them, and that's awesome. But it's not really like explicitly Christian. And you greet people that you know, and when they come into church, and they're your buddies and your friends, you greet them really warmly, and you're so nice to them, and awesome, way to go. But... There's nothing really like explicitly Christian about that. What is explicitly Christian actually cuts against the grain. What Jesus is saying is, actually, what Christians look like are the people who love the folks they don't know. The people who love and greet the people who may even be against them in some way. Because everybody likes the people that like them. Even the tax collectors, which would be uh, the easiest example of the most selfish people of the day. Even the really selfish people, they really love the people who love them. That's not a big deal. Christians are supposed to be different in some way. Christians are supposed to actually move against the grain. We're supposed to, when people look at us, they're supposed to say, man, something's going on. Something's different with that group of people. Now, unfortunately, we've fallen usually to one side or another as the church. We've either uh, just kind of absorbed the culture of the day where people can't tell the difference between who we are and who who those who are outside of the church are. Or we've kind of swung the other way where we're like, yeah, I definitely know who they are. And let me tell you what, like, I don't like them at all because they're just angry people. Jesus is calling us to something different, which is the hardest thing to be, which is actually to, to be different and to love those other people. I don't know if you saw this, maybe last year uh, in the news popped up a story about a woman who had, she had taken her young child, her young daughter, into a coffee shop. And they were going in and they were going to get donuts and coffee. She was bringing her kid to get donuts. And there was two women behind her who, who began um, kind of in hushed way, but audibly disparaging her. She could hear this. They're saying things like, uh, look at her hair. How gross. How ugly. Like, you can see the roots. And... Man, she is really fat. She's like a whale. And uh, I, guess the, I guess the whale needs to eat. I guess the whale is kind of walking up and needs to eat. This woman is standing here with her young daughter, and she can hear these two women behind her saying this. She orders her coffee, and they said, well, I guess she needs her liquids. Get the whale back in the water. What this woman did that's amazing, though, is she told the cashier when she ordered her coffee, she said, I'd like to pay for the coffee, whatever they order behind me. Just go ahead and put it on my tab. Friends, that, that's different. You can go into any Starbucks around here and you can see one friend say to another, hey, let me pick this up today. That's great. That's kindness. That's generosity. But it is not abnormal. What is abnormal is for somebody to love the person who is their enemy, who has just been disparaging them in front of their young daughter, and to love them so much that they actually sacrifice part of themselves to pay for their meal. That is the way Christians are called to act. Let's do some application on this. If we're supposed to be different, how do we do this? Well, we're gonna, uh, we need to paint this in a, in a corporate way. Oftentimes we think about this personally, and I think that's helpful. But actually, all the pronouns in what Jesus is saying here, they're plural. It's hard to see um, in English because 
Listen, the church would really be helped if there was like a revised Texas edition of the Bible. Because then we would see all of the plural pronouns like y'all, right? Then it would say things like, y'all have heard it said, y'all should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to y'all, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. It's all, it's all plural, okay? So the y'all application for us all is how do we act as a church when people who are outside of our church or even people who feel really different than we are or people who we might even be at odds with, how do we act when they come in? How do they see us? Do they see us as just kind of the same way that they see everywhere else? Whenever they they walk into the grocery store and everybody's kind of got their own little blinders on and they're in their own little world? Or do they actually come into a place where they're welcomed? Are we creating a culture in our church of welcome and belonging, even for those people who've never been here before? Because when that happens, when someone comes in and they can immediately feel, these people aren't putting on a show. They're not doing this just because they've been told. They're not doing this because they think they're earning some sort of points in heaven. They're doing this because somehow, genuinely, they love me. And we've never met, but they are showing love to me. And that is amazing. When we do that as a church, when we provide a culture of welcome and belonging for people, we are cutting against the grain of our society. We are being explicitly Christian in the way that Jesus calls us to be. All right, here's the third reason that Jesus gives us for loving our enemies and not just our neighbors. And that is that when we love our enemies, we actually get to participate in the act of being children. The act of being, as Jesus says it, sons of God. Listen again here. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Friends, Jesus says that as we love our enemies, we get to actually participate in the action of being sons and daughters of God. Now, let me be really clear with my words here. Jesus is not saying that when we love enemies, we become sons of God. The Bible is very clear that the way that we become sons of God and the way that the Bible describes that, the way that we become uh, children of his, that we are adopted, is by Jesus' work, not ours. Paul says this all throughout uh, his epistles, particularly in Galatians. He says that we have been made sons of God by what Jesus has done. There's nothing that we can do to get from outside of the house to inside of the house. It's what Jesus has done that brings us in there. So I want to be really, really clear about this. Jesus is not saying, love your neighbors so that I might accept you. That's not what he's saying at all. But he is saying that when you love your neighbors, when you participate like this, you get to act like who you already are. You get to act in accordance with who I've made you to be. That you get to act like the sons and the daughters that I've made you to be. And not only that, you actually get to experience it. You get to, you get to experience what it feels like to be a son of your father. You've seen this probably before, particularly. You've seen a boy and his dad, and then somebody comes up and they say, Man, you look just like your dad. And you can immediately see that boy's eyes kind of start to gleam. Because they think, Wow, I look just like my dad. I feel, I experience what it's like to be like my father. My dad taught me how to throw a football. And I don't do it nearly as well as he could do it. But still, every time I throw the football around, I feel in some way kind of like my dad's son. 
I feel like I'm participating in that. That's part of what Jesus, the opportunity, the beauty that Jesus gives us here is you get to experience what it's like to be a son by pouring yourself out for others. Furthermore, if you're a parent, you know this, that the thing that you want most for your child is that they would grow up. That they would mature. That they would become fully who they were supposed to be. And I think this is actually what Jesus is getting at when at the end he says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is, uh, this is another place I think where our English translation gets in the way a little bit. Because when we hear the word perfect, we think, um, we think everything is exactly right. There's somebody who's, who's never done anything wrong before. That's not what Jesus is getting at. The Bible says all throughout that, that even Christians are not perfect. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know what it means to be a Christian, that's not one of the things. Christians are not perfect people by any long stretch of the imagination. But the word that, that we're translating here in Greek really has a connotation more of fullness or of completeness or of maturity. A wholeheartedness, a fullness that we're called to grow into. Christians are not called to be perfect, but we are called to be mature. We are called to grow. And what Jesus is saying is that when we participate in the activity even of loving our enemies, we are growing up into who we are called to be. And in many ways, Jesus is also kind of, um, he's kind of pulling everything together in this, in this phrase, talking about everything that he's talked about so far. Anger and lust and marriage and all of the things that we've talked about for the last six weeks. Jesus is kind of pulling it all together. Listen to this, um, this really fabulous quote by uh, Frederick Dale Bruner, who's a, a commentator on Matthew. This is what he says. Christian maturity is a whole-souled commitment, for Jesus' sake, to protecting other people. Do you hear that theme of love and protection run through? Christian maturity is looking at everyone that we meet and saying, I will never, God helping me, do anything to hurt you, either by angrily lashing out at you, or lustfully sidling up to you, or faithfully slipping away from you, or verbally oiling you up, or protectively hitting you back, or even justifiably disliking you. That's what it means actually for us to grow up in Christ, is to become more and more like those who look like him. Here's the fourth reason that Jesus gives us, and it's the final thing, and it is really the motivation for why we do what we do. We are called to love those who are different than us, those who are outside our group, and even those who we would consider our enemies, because that's exactly what God has done for us. God has actually loved us who are his enemies. If you are a Christian, one of the fundamental truths of your life is that you used to be an enemy of God. And God has now made you his friend. You are no longer at enmity with him. Listen to these fabulous scriptures. Romans 5, Paul says this, While we were enemies of God, we were were reconciled to him by the death of his son. God reconciled us who were his enemies, making us his friends. He says it in Colossians 1 as well. You who were alienated from God, who were hostile in mind, you've been reconciled by Jesus' death. The most famous passage in the Bible, probably the one that most everybody knows, could be translated easily this way. For God so loved his enemies, the world, that he gave his only son. Friends, that is what has happened for us. If we are Christians, God has actually brought us from the status of being enemy to the status of being friend. We have gone from those who have been against him and in our sin have been his enemies to those who, because of Jesus' grace, have become his friends. 
If that word sin doesn't make any sense to you, if you're hearing it for the first time, we, we talk about it a lot. We don't oftentimes define it. Here's one way you could define it. Sin really is the activity of us substituting ourselves for God. That can be I'm substituting myself by building up all of this list of things that I've done. Therefore, I don't need God as Savior because I've done all this. I get to substitute. Or it can be me substituting myself for for God by saying, I'll be the one who makes all the rules and I get to kind of choose my own path. That's substitution as well. Salvation, though, as the Bible lays it out, is the opposite. It is God substituting himself for us. God saying that I will be your righteousness. I will be your forgiveness. I will be your holiness. I will do it my own. And what it means to become a Christian is to turn from this idea of substituting ourselves for God and to actually turn to Jesus in faith as the one who has substituted himself for us. That's what it means to become a Christian. That's also what it means to be a Christian. Life is daily repentance and faith. It is turning away from our self-substitution and turning to Jesus in faith. And friends, that is also what motivates us, that we might lay ourselves down for those around us. That we might love the outsider, that we might love those who are different, that we might love even those who are our enemies. I'm going to leave you with one challenge, and then we'll be able to reflect on it for just a few minutes. Here's the challenge. Think of a person in your life who you are at odds with. This may be a person that you are at odds with because you just don't really have much interaction with them. It may be a person that you're at odds with because you have a lot of interaction with them. Maybe it's your spouse or one of your children. Maybe it's somebody uh, in the community. Maybe it's somebody in the church or maybe it's somebody in a different church. Think about a person that you would consider in some way at enmity with you. And then consider this. When the Bible talks about love, it talks about action and feelings that flow from action, not the other way around. So one particular action that Jesus gives us, and he gives us in this passage, is that we might just commit to pray for those people. What would it be like to commit this week to pray every day from that person that you've been thinking about? To pray for that person that you are at odds with. To pray that the Lord would bless them, love them. To pray that the Lord would soften your heart toward them so that you might be able to love them more. Let's pray for that right now and then we'll have a few minutes that we can ponder that on our own. Our Father, we thank you first of all that you, you've moved toward us who were your enemies. That instead of simply saying, I hate those who are against me and I will wipe them out. Lord, that you, that you, that you brought us in. And that you did so at the expense of your own son. We thank you for the love that you've displayed to us. Lord, we ask that it would be motivation for our love toward others. Jesus, this is, this is hard. This seems extreme. When we really start to put it into practice, it's really difficult. And we need your help. We ask that you would enable us to soften our hearts to others. That we might actually pour ourselves out in love. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to spend some time considering these things. We'll also pass around a basket for offering. If you have uh, your own offering or tithes that you'd like to put in there, uh, please do so. This would be the time. If you are a guest this morning, please do not feel compelled. And if you're a visitor, um, fill out that visitor card, drop it in the same basket. Or if you have a prayer request, you can do the same and drop it in the basket as well.
Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We praise and worship you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and arise from the dead to defeat death itself. We're thankful we can worship you in freedom every Sunday. Today we pray for connection.